Welcome to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. On each episode, we find a brief resilience topic so you can practically fix any potential roadblocks you encounter and finish a better wingman, airman, and leader. We are honored today to have a special guest. Yes, so today we are joined by Major General Mary O'Brien, the commander of the 25th Air Force. In her role as commander, General O'Brien oversees over 29,000 personnel all across the globe in the provision of multi-domain, multi-source intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance products and capabilities, really providing an uh, unparalleled and unbelievable capability to today's Air Force. So General O'Brien, thank you so much, ma'am, for being with us today. Oh, it's great to be here. All right, we're very excited to, to hear your words of wisdom and what you can impart to uh, not just our folks in the 25th Air Force, but really uh, all our airmen across the Air Force who are thinking, you know, what do I have to do to be successful in my job? What I need to be successful, do to be successful in, in life? And uh, just in talking with you just now, We've gleaned, gleaned a lot of things that you've learned um, through your yeah, Air Force career, through different trials and tribulations you've experienced. So we're very excited to get to uh, learn about who you are as a person and uh, to hear what words of wisdom you have um, for our airmen. All right, you so. set the bar pretty high there. <laughs> well, to start with something kind of low-key, ma'am, uh, literally, so you have two golden retrievers here with us. I do have two golden retrievers. Can you tell us about them? Uh, so they're uh, Jen and Bailey. They're eight years old. Uh, they're not our first golden retrievers. We had a golden retriever named Brogan who was born on the same day as my daughter one year before. Mm-hmm. So we had grown up. Uh, he passed away in Colorado and my son was in second grade and we were getting ready to come to Maryland and he said, mom, what state are we stopping in to pick up Jet? And I was like, who's Jet? Jet's our new golden retriever puppy. Uh, and wow. so uh, we ended up with uh, Jet and Bailey because I have a son and a daughter, so we needed two dogs. So. <laughs> totally understood. Well, they're awesome. Perfect. So we may hear them in the background for those listening, but this is great. Um, so to start your day, so every day you have a pretty busy job, you have people all over the world. What does the first hour of your day look like? Uh, so that's an interesting question. Uh, I am not an early bird. I know that there's a perception that all these general officers you know, only four hours of sleep, and they get up at 4.30 in the morning, and, you know, they're, like, motivated to get out and do all this stuff. So I'm not an early bird, um, and uh, it takes me a little while to kind of get going. So uh, I like to kind of see what happened in the world, so I sort of check the news. Okay. Um, and then I usually kind of check in with my husband on what's going on in the house and with the kids for the day. Uh, And then I think about what is my goal for the day? Uh, When I get to my office, what is my goal for the day? And what do I want to accomplish? And are those goals aligned with what's actually on my schedule? Um, Sometimes things have changed, so we make changes. So uh, for me, that first part of the day is sort of like a mini thinking strategically uh, about what I want to accomplish. Um, some mm-hmm. people like set your intentions yeah, for the exactly. day. Yeah, so, absolutely. so it's sort of like I'm setting my intentions for the day. I, I like it because you're you're starting off your day by saying um, I'm going to have a direction. I'm going to be goal oriented. You're not just uh, arriving at work and waiting to see what happens or <laughs> waiting to see what your exec tells you you're going to do. Right? You're saying this is what I'm, I'm going to accomplish. This is what I'm going to set out to do and I'm going to take advantage 
advantage of every opportunity to make that happen. So then you can reflect at the end of the day and see um, to what extent you met that goal and see if there's something that maybe you should alter in terms of your, your orientation the next day or the, the next week. Right. Now, you've had a dual mill-to-mill marriage through this through your Air Force journey. Um, how has it been maintaining your relationship with your spouse and your kids throughout your journey? Um, so we talk, uh, so John was also a different service, um, so that he's a Marine, so that brings a different culture. Uh, we like, and we like to say that we have stolen, uh, the best parts of Air Force culture he took with him to some of his commands in the Marines and I steal some of the Marine culture and bring it to the Air Force so it might be a little confusing for some people uh, but uh, we were able to both uh, stay on a command track that was important to us we both want to serve I think he's the was the best logistics officer and when he was in Hellman if I had a child who was a Marine I would want him to be take care of that person he feels that what I do in the intelligence community is valuable um, and so we've been supported that way uh, we also have two kids um, and we had them a little bit later in life so um, I had toddlers as a squadron commander oh, wow. elementary age kids as a group commander and middle school kids as a wing commander and now I have a college freshman and a high schooler uh, as a NAF commander. Um, so uh, the ki- keeping the kids, um, we wanted their life to be uh, what we say is our normal. Mm. Um, so we would purposely, if we were stationed apart, uh, which was frequent, uh, at the first teacher conference, we would explain the situation and then you usually get that look of sympathy and huh. like, stop. Uh, this is our normal and this is how we present it to our kids and we explained why it's important to us and we don't want the sympathy or special treatment or that somehow their life is less because they don't have both parents in their house every night and that has been successful for us. Yeah, ma'am, you were uh, telling us before we started recording about how when you were stationed in England, your husband uh, was stationed elsewhere, and y'all been separated for a while. You were both retirement eligible and had to make a decision at that point as to uh, whether you're going to take the opportunity to come back together or continue to pursue your respective career paths that would ostensibly keep you apart. Can you tell us about how y'all made that decision and how you talked to your kids about it? Um, Sure. So uh, we had promised our children that we would be back in the same household after my tour in England and his uh, uh, deployment in Afghanistan. As it turns out, he was promoted uh, during that uh, deployment and I was being sent to Colorado. He was being sent to Washington, Mm D.C. And so I still remember walking around base with my daughter and she would have been a fourth grader then. And I said, I know we promised you that we would all be back in the same house, but it looks like she already knew about John's promotion, uh, but it looks like I'm going to Colorado. And I said, if you want me to retire, then we'll do that. And she kind of looked at me and she said, I've never been to Colorado. Let's give it a try. Um, And so I am very grateful for that um, because I was not ready to stop serving the Air Force at that point. Mm. Um, And it let me know that they were still good with being military kids. 
Yeah, no kidding. And, and I think it speaks to the experiences that your your kids had during uh, throughout your you and your husband's career is they had to keep an open mind because um, they never knew where they're going to be next or how long they're staying in, in one particular uh, location. And so they had to be open to new experiences, open to change, and be willing and able to adapt, even from a very young age, um, to change in circumstances, perhaps things that change rapidly, um, even when you had a plan to get back together. So so how did you um, work to instill that in your kids? I wish I could tell you, but uh, <laughs> I, I have always felt that we were very fortunate. Um, uh, my kids don't have any learning disabilities. Uh, they haven't had any really extended illnesses or things like that. So uh, I'm aware of other Air Force members who, you know, have hugely different challenges um, in trying to serve and take care of their families. And I've always felt that we were lucky um, that we didn't have those challenges and that our kids, you know, just seem to adapt Mm -hmm. and for the most part thrive. And I like that you uh, went back to your family to help make these decisions. It wasn't an all or nothing uh, type of thing. You know, your, your kids didn't have sole authority over <laughs> the direction of your career. No. Um, and you didn't decide unilaterally. It was a, it was a family decision. And I think that um, that was probably pretty helpful and, and helped you keep yeah. that work-life balance, too. Yeah, we did the same approach uh, when I was selected to be the commander of 25th Air Force. Okay. Uh, so my daughter... Uh, was going to be a senior uh, and my son was in middle school and when we found that we were in Maryland and when we found out about the job we said all options are on the table uh, Kelly could stay behind with a friend John might stay behind with both kids we could all go we said all options are on the table and uh, and my son ran down the street to his friend's house and said my mom said all options are on the table. Can I live with you guys? And my, my friend who's a Navy spouse was like, Brian, we love you and you can stay here, but your mom will never allow it. Uh, but Kelly, the, our senior, thought about it for about three days. Uh, and in the end, she said, we're a military family. We stick together. And she decided to come with us uh, and in part because as a senior and my son was a freshman, it put them back in school for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a year together that they wouldn't have had if she had stayed behind. So I'm proud of both of them for that. So resilience is something we addressed in the podcast, obviously, as the pillars, right? So we want to teach people how to bounce back, how to deal with challenges that they run into. If you had to name a big challenge in your career, if you could share a story um, and maybe how you bounced back from it. Um, So I would say uh, for many people, one of their biggest challenges uh, with their military career is making decisions whether to continue serving or to maybe do something different. Um, And in the listed force, they're re-enlisting. They're making a conscious effort to continue serving for a definitive period of time. On the officer side, you know, if you don't have an active duty service commitment, you're free to pursue other options. So uh, my challenges are usually when you're at some of those decision point. And for me, I would say one of those decisions came as a, a lieutenant colonel. I had been selected for squadron command. My husband and I had been apart for two years. He had been at sea with a 3MEF out of Okinawa. 
and I worked in legislative liaison uh, in the Pentagon um, during the 9-11 time. So we had had uh, my daughter, but we had been apart. Mm -hmm. And so when I found out that I potentially was going to be sent to a base that was not going to result in joint spouse, Mm -hmm. I thought seriously about maybe it was time to separate. Uh, I was not retirement eligible. And I went to a general officer for help and advice and about the situation. And I said, uh, I'm, if I take the squadron command, uh, my husband and I will not be together. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, and my daughter was uh, 18 months old, and I said, I don't think that I can be the best squadron commander I can be um, under those circumstances. And this general officer, this was quite a few years ago, this general officer looked at me and said, go without your daughter. I don't understand why you don't just leave your daughter with your husband and go out to this base and um, and take command. How did you respond to that internally? And I, well, internally and externally, (laughs) I said, um, because they don't know each other. We had been living apart her whole life. Oh, wow. And so they, I said, he's not ready to assume primary child care, you know, for this uh, infant. And so I said, sir, you've given me a lot to think about. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate your insight. This is going to be a difficult decision, and I appreciate your time. Uh, But inside, I was doing the, uh, you know, is it Madagascar where the penguins? Yeah. I was doing the, (laughs) I was never here. Um, and then, uh, but, and so the, so I uh, ran into uh, a leader in my community and I said, please don't give me that assignment. If you give me that assignment, I'm going to have to turn it down mm-hmm. and I'm not ready to leave the Air Force. I don't want a seven day out. Um, and, but then I also looked at other options, right? Maybe the fork in the road was changing for me and it was time to pursue other paths. Um, the doors to the reserves opened right away. Um, there was definitely a, a place for me in the reserves. Um, and I found out later that somebody else had intervened on my behalf and uh, was able to uh, reach a compromise that okay. would allow me to command um, in the same location where the Marines were sending my husband. Fantastic. Wow. That's great. And, and I think I'm picking up on something um, that might have answered the previous question about how, how you taught your kids to be so resilient. I've noticed now several times where you're faced with these obstacles. You, you said that you um, didn't freak out <laughs> and jump to conclusions and make a, an immediate dogmatic decision. You examined it thoroughly and you looked at different options. You said, what can we consider? What are the opportunities here? And, and uh, just a few days ago, uh, Chaplin and I were uh, visiting one of our units, the 57IS at JBSA, um, and he, he made a funny joke about how he doesn't call his alarm clock an alarm clock. It's an opportunity clock. <laughs> <laughs> and it all has to do with how you reframe and, and take perspective on these challenges in your life. So rather than um, viewing this 
potential assignment as um, 100% unequivocally detrimental to your family life, you said, okay, well, what are the options here? What are the opportunities? How could this be a good thing? And and through you examining that and not jumping too hastily, uh, it actually worked out pretty well for you. And I think that's that overarching message after your your kids and after your airmen see that over and over again, it, it becomes something that's more instilled in them. I think it's that's a lesson that we can all stand to benefit from as well. well one thing with that, all you know, your wisdom from your time in the Air Force and all around the world. Um, oftentimes, when we start our careers, we maybe don't have as much wisdom. We think we do, right? We're like we know everything when we're twenty-one. But if you had to give advice to your twenty-one-year-old self when you were just commissioned, what advice would you give yourself? Um, so I, I think it took me a little while to learn this. But I would say sometimes when faced with a difficult decision or situation, just wait. Mm. Um, You know, there's so much pressure to get to a solution or solve it or react. Um, And sometimes you can just wait. Mm. And uh, my family, so I still kind of do that today. Uh, My family calls that strategic patience, (laughs) where you can just wait. And sometimes something will change. Um, And so for me, uh, as a second lieutenant, my first boss was fabulous. I had a wonderful first boss. He let me make stupid second lieutenant mistakes. He didn't hold them against me. He let me get out. And I was in a B-52 base with a thousand crewmen, you know, critiquing the Intel girl uh, all the time. Um, My second boss was not that way. My second boss was a toxic boss. We didn't call them them back then, but he was a toxic boss. And if we had had an electronic version to separate from the Air Force at that time, I would not be here today. But back then, you had to find out a form, you had to fill out the form, you had to go to CVPO and, you know, give the form to somebody. Um, And so while I was struggling, you know, this, I now had a data point of two bosses, a a really, really spectacular boss and a toxic boss. Um, it, it turned out that I was not the only person that realized he was toxic mm-hmm. and the situation changed. And so um, my advice since then to some uh, of the people that I mentor is sometimes let's just wait and, and see if something changes before you do something that's going to close doors. And I always like to advise them to keep as many doors open as long as you can Mm -hmm. and don't make decisions that will close those doors before you have to. I didn't know that as a young officer. We know maybe one more question, ma'am, for you. So for regarding books, sometimes people want to keep learning. If you had to recommend a book to someone right now, they want to learn about leadership or or just something, right? What would you recommend? So um, I'm going to overachieve. There's three books. Okay. Okay. Uh, There's three books that I have been recommending frequently. Um, that that I talk about. Uh, the first one is one that my husband gave me called "Quiet: The Power of Introverts in a World oh, yeah. That Won't Stop yeah. Stop Talking." Do you know that book Excellent. by uh, Susan Cain? Um, people who prefer listening to speaking, people who innovate but don't want to self-promote. How do you get the inputs? from that part of your workforce. Um, And so my chief and I 
have developed have used some of the strategies in the book. Uh, we talk when we have finished meetings. We're like, this meeting is not over hmm. for 24 hours. If you go out and you go running or you're thinking about things and you come up with a better idea than what we've talked about, the extroverts who all shared their ideas at the <laughs> right. beginning of the meeting, the meeting is not over and you can still contribute. At our all calls, we let people know up front that we're going to say 15 minutes at the end for the people who want to come up and talk to us one-on-one about something that might not apply to everybody or they're just not comfortable. So I think that there's a lot of strategies in that book. The other book that uh, I have found very useful recently is Thinking Fast and Slow. Also great. Um, So identifying the basis for common errors from biases Mm -hmm. and heuristics or your way of thinking. Um, And I find that there's a lot of strategies in there that can help you understand when your first impression using your gut is an appropriate way to make a decision. But then other times when you should use a different strategy and question your assumptions um, to get to better decisions. Uh, And then the third book that uh, I've been recommending that I found useful is Win by Daniel Pink. Um, He's got quite a few. A lot of people are familiar with Drive. Um, And so he's got a new book out called Win. And it's The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm not a morning person. And it talks about larks and night owls. And there's something in between, which I can't remember his phrase for that. Um, But it talks about, again, back to how do you structure your day. Mm -hmm. If you're doing something that requires creativity, then you might have a natural part of your day when you should do that. Um, If you're doing detail work, you might have a natural part of your day when you can do the detail work. Um, And then it goes into other things as well, health-related things and things like that. Um, So those three books uh, I have personally found to be very useful, and I mention the three of them frequently. But what I would recommend uh, to airmen is read something that you're passionate about Mm. and not what you think you should read. And so uh, when I was coming up through the ranks, everyone said you had to read military history. I'm a chemistry. I'm a chemistry, and I do. I did it all for PME. I read everything. (laughs) But um, but that's not my passion. History Mm -hmm. is not my passion, and so um, and so I didn't enjoy that kind of reading. I did it because I felt like I should. Um, so you need to read things that will resonate with you. If you love sports, there's books by coaches, leadership lessons from Vince Lombardi, things like that. So I actually advise airmen to read something that they're passionate about that's going to teach them something personally or professionally and not necessarily what I think is helping me build high-performance teams mm. and make better decisions inside 25th Air Force. I think that's great because it's going to give us more well-rounded people, um, not a whole bunch of clones who are exactly <laughs> alike, um, and gives us people with varied backgrounds, varied interests to help us think outside the box and think differently. But I like how um, you know when we get all these people together, you see how the transferable skills from the, these various interests all play together. So, man, like you're, with your interest in chemistry, I saw 
study majored in chemistry at the academy. I right? did. Um, so so that requires a lot of logic and precision, a lot of analytical skills, which I'm sure uh, were there in the at the first place, but you further developed in studying chemistry that probably played out, played well throughout your career and uh, your master's degrees and your so so your studying chemistry. I can see how that played out well and and a variety of your other leadership exploits and and throughout your career in the Air Force. Right. And it was something I have enjoyed. I don't know why, but I've always enjoyed science and looking at things from a scientific perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm like, prove it. You know, so we use... Um, the scientific method to prove things and so I think we have that in common <laughs> so, so um, maybe final question ma'am if it's okay uh, is there anything you'd like to tell our audience any statement you'd like to make at all just generally well I know you have a diverse audience and that they're not all in the Air Force but I would like to thank uh, our airmen for what they do and for the other parts of your audience that are also serving whether they're serving in the military, serving in the government, serving their families, serving their communities, um, that their interest in resiliency is uh, appreciated, whether it's to maintain their own resiliency or to help others around them be resilient. So I would tell them thank you. Well, thank you for your time today, ma'am. We know it's valuable, and thanks for letting us come. Your dogs are amazing. <laughs> My daughter's been begging me for one, so this isn't going to go over well when I tell her tonight. I'm going to send you pictures. <laughs> I might oh, it's going to be bad. <laughs> well, we want to thank you, um, for the listener, for listening to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. I'm Mary O'Brien. Until next time, if you need us, please reach out to us in the global address list. Finally, we want to thank you for what you do for our nation. We hope you have a great day. Mm-hmm.